three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Tuesday, August 14th. And uh, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm just excited. I really have a great show prepared. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff piling up. I have a lot to say about quarterbacks and about everything. Um, and I really, I want to start you off with this. Um, quarterbacks are like beards. And now, I, I want you to look at my face. If you're watching on YouTube, look at my face. We can agree, I don't have a beard. If you're listening on iTunes or SoundCloud, you have to trust me, I don't have a beard. And uh, if I were to grow a beard, it would take about two months. It would take a long time for me to fully develop a beard. And what I would do if I was going to develop a beard, I would have to have patience because there's a long time between no facial hair and a fully developed beard. And that time is gross. It's ugly. You have peach fuzz. It's scraggly. It's ugly. It doesn't look good. And if you want a fully developed beard, you have to be willing to put up with the ugliness in between having no beard and having a beard. Rookie quarterbacks are the exact same way. If you want a fully developed quarterback, you must be willing to put up with the ugly period in between being drafted and being a fully developed quarterback. So if you're a fan, we, we saw recently, we saw Sam Darnold do really well in his preseason opener. We saw Baker Mayfield do pretty well. Though that's encouraging, but I'm telling you, there's probably ugliness coming. And if it happens, don't, don't freak out. Have patience. Because rookie quarterbacks are like beards. It takes time to develop them. And everybody's different. My buddy Nathan can grow a beard in a week. It would take me about two months. That's just it's the truth. Everybody's different. Josh Allen might develop more slowly than Josh Rosen. And Sam Darnold, he might not start till week 13. We don't know. He might. But you never know. And I just, I'm begging for you right now to be patient with rookie quarterbacks. Lower your expectations a little bit and just understand there's going to be an ugly period, an ugly growth period where they struggle, they throw interceptions, or they don't play and it's, you'll be all wonder. They're not busts. I really don't think they're busts. I think there are five viable quarterbacks in this year's NFL draft. And I, we just need to be patient. Remember, If you want to grow a beard, it takes time from clean shaven to fully developed beard. It takes time. There's an ugly period in between. Rookie quarterbacks are the exact same way. I want to say one more thing. Now, since we're on rookie quarterbacks, I want to talk about Baker Mayfield. In Baker Mayfield's preseason debut, he threw for 212 yards. He was 11 for 20 passing and two touchdowns. And I heard Baker Mayfield critics say something that I thought was really silly. I heard a critic of Baker Mayfield say, you know, Baker Mayfield doesn't have any wow factor. Baker Mayfield's a number one overall pick. Why doesn't he have literally quote unquote wow factor? You know who I'm talking about if you know who I'm talking about. Oh man, I I, personally, I want to say this. I, I prefer Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield. Sorry, actually, I prefer Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold to Baker Mayfield. But even though I prefer them, I want to defend Baker Mayfield right here. Wow factor? It's like we learned nothing. Do you remember Jamarcus Russell? Jamarcus Russell, number one overall pick. Jamarcus Russell had wow factor. He could throw like 80 yards from his knees. Wow, that's great. That's amazing. It's worth nothing. It's worth absolutely nothing. And to counter that, people are saying, you know, Baker Mayfield, he's not big enough. He's not fast enough. He's not strong enough. His arm is weak. Have you learned nothing? Have you learned nothing? What is Tom Brady's wow factor? Huh? His work ethic. It's not something you can measure. 
What is Drew Brees' wow factor? When Drew Brees came into the league, he was a he was a 32nd overall pick. LaDainian Tomlinson was picked on his team before him. Nobody expected Drew Brees to develop. In fact, the Chargers moved on from uh, Drew Brees to Phillip Rivers because they didn't believe in Drew Brees. My point is this. I thought we developed. I thought we learned something about quarterbacks in the last couple of years. I thought we all learned. Arm strength is overrated and speed is overrated and height is overrated. It doesn't matter. If you can deliver the ball on time, if you can execute your offense, that's what matters. In fact, I would argue Baker Mayfield has the one thing that matters most. He's mentally ready to go. Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, you can't, you cannot really learn a lot from the preseason. People go, well, the 11 things we learned from the Chargers and the Chiefs. Like, no, you can't learn anything from preseason games. Not really, not much. You can't really, vanilla defenses, it's not really starters on the field, but the things you can learn. There are a couple small things you can learn in the preseason. It's how does a guy feel on the field? Is he comfortable? Is he a leader? Is he yelling at people? Is he yelling at people because he's angry? Is he motivating? How does a guy work with others? That's what you can learn when you watch a preseason game. Baker Mayfield absolutely has that. I thought we were passes. I thought we understood talent is over. Like how big an arm is? Yeah, Jamarcus Russell had a huge arm. Tom Brady in the combine was a joke. I thought we've learned this by now. Quote unquote, wow factor doesn't matter for quarterbacks. Again, quarterback is about these four things, poise, accuracy, leadership, and decision-making. And since being in the NFL, he's made nothing but great decisions. And I I personally believe in Baker Mayfield. Again, I would rather have Sam Darnold. I would rather have Josh Allen. Sorry, excuse me, Josh Rosen. Excuse me, Josh Rosen. I would rather have Josh Rosen than Baker Mayfield. I like Baker Mayfield more than Josh Allen, the quarterback in the Buffalo Bills. But I, I mean, do you remember Jay Cutler? Jay Cutler had this huge arm. Jay Cutler had wow factor. And he had no leadership ability. And he didn't win very much in his career. I don't know. I mean, again, you can't read a lot into the preseason. But my goodness, wow factor? I heard this commentator say that and I was like, are you, are you serious? Are you kidding me? I, I really thought we learned. I thought we were past this and apparently we're not. Baker Mayfield's going to succeed. I believe in him. I don't know that he's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't know that he's Drew Brees. But that's a lot to compare him to. How about we let him succeed? And I think he will. Have patience and uh, quit talking about how tall he is or how strong his arm is. Baker Mayfield's fine. Baker Mayfield can absolutely play quarterback at an NFL level. Uh, The one thing you could read into his preseason game versus the Giants was that. He can hang in the NFL. He can hang. He can play. The Browns clearly seem to believe in him. And uh, I have nothing but confidence that Baker Mayfield will absolutely succeed in the NFL. Uh, I, I want to say this. I saw a movie last night. It's called Eighth Grade. It's it's fantastic. Uh, it's written and directed by Bone Burnham, the guy that, you know, he sings the song, Isn't It Ironic? Um, this is not about sports. This is just a, a movie that I really enjoyed last night. It's uh, it's not a comedy. Um, but for people like me, I, I was a weird guy in high school. I was kind of a, uh, I mean, I played quarterback. I was, I went to, you know, homecoming with the homecoming queen, whatever. But I, uh, I've always had social anxiety and the movie Eighth Grade really spoke to me. So if you, if you have any curiosity about that, I recommend it. Uh, we have a huge show today. I'm really, really excited. Um, I'm going to address 49er fans directly. I've gotten a lot of feedback from my NFL predictions, and uh, I'm going I'm to address all the feedback I've gotten. Not all of it. Probably do more of it Tuesday. Um, but man, I, I really want to talk to you guys. I'm going to talk about Kelvin Benjamin's comments about Cam Newton. Kelvin Benjamin came out. He said, Cam Newton, not accurate. I'm really disappointed I played with him. He kind of trashed Cam Newton. I'm going to talk about that, share my opinion. I'm going to tell you why I believe in Andrew Luck in this episode. Andrew Luck, we'll get there. I don't want to ruin it. I'm really excited. Um, the NFL is going on, undergoing a big change. The NFL is going under a, 
undergoing a massive shift. Something is changing in the NFL. I'm going to talk about that, kind of share what that's happening. Um, did the Chiefs make a mistake? The Chiefs booted Alex Smith. They, they got rid of him, and they decided to commit to unproven quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Was that a mistake? I'll tell you why or why not. I want to talk about the Falcons. The Falcons could have lost everything, and they didn't, and they deserve credit. I'm going to talk about, I, I think I owe Jets fans an apology, and we'll talk about Johnny Manziel down the road. And oh, last thing we'll talk about at the end of the show, the very last topic of the day, we'll talk about the 49er signing Alfred Morris. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud. You can find the full entire show on YouTube. You can also find shorter, my more interesting breakout clips on YouTube as well. Tell your friends about this podcast. If you like this podcast as much as I do, if you, in fact, if you enjoy this podcast at all, please do me a favor. I'm growing very slowly. I would love your help. Tell your friends about this podcast. I, I really put my heart and soul into this, and uh, I would really appreciate your help to grow this show. And, uh, you know, last thing I want to say, man, I, I really at times struggle with depression. It's just, a, and this is not, this is not related to me asking you to share the show. I just want to say, I, I really appreciate you guys, everybody watching. Um, this, this summer's not been very fun for me, actually. I've actually had a lot of personal struggles. And uh, this show has always been there for me. Doing this podcast is the one thing that just makes me so happy. It's like, I, you know, I, I really, even more than putting it out, even more than recording it, I love preparing it. I love working on it. I love writing the show. And um, I'm so grateful you're listening. I'm, I, I really, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you guys. And I love doing Strong Opinion Sports uh, more than almost anything in the, really probably more than anything in the entire world. It's my favorite thing. Um, they should go into movies, man. I, I don't do much else. And um, I really, I just love it. And I'm, I'm really grateful for you guys. I want to now shift your attention to um, 49ers fans. I want to I want to talk about something. I uh, I got a ton of pushback from the 49ers fans. Um, you know, I I, I made a, a video saying that. You know, I, here's what I said. I said that 49ers the 49ers were going to go nine and seven, and so after my NFL prediction show, the 49ers fans really strongly pushed back on me. I said the 49ers would go nine and seven. And so I want to read a comment I put. Um, I pinned this comment underneath the 49ers prediction video. I want to read it to you right now. I said this. This prediction was my opinion. I said what I believe. I hope you can respect that. And it would have been disingenuous if I'd said the 49ers were going to go 12 and 4 and win the Super Bowl. Look, I don't believe the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl. I don't think they're going to go 12 and 4. Um, and I, I, I really believe the 49ers are a year or two away. This is, I'm going to continue reading now. The one thing you can always count on me to be is honest. So you guys can always, always count on me to say exactly what I believe. It would be disingenuous if I said something else. I say exactly what I believe. Um, I'm never going to change my opinion because it's what you want me to say. I, I'm never going to do that. I'm going off script. Now. I'm not going to read this comment all the way through. Um, I want to say this NFL season, I will be following the San Francisco 49ers more closely than any other team. I, I just think they're the more fascinating. They're the most fascinating story in the NFL to me. They, remember, they were had the number two overall pick a couple years ago. The Browns and the 49ers are the two teams I'm fully invested in because they're rebuilding and they're doing a good job rebuilding. And that's a great story to me, a comeback story I want to talk about. Again, I will always, always say what I believe. I know, I know that 49er fans listening would rather me say, the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be, you know, NFL MVP. I, I don't believe that. And so I can't say that. I, I really, I refuse to compromise what I say because I know it's what you want me to hear um that might make you angry but I, I can't bullshit any of you guys I'm not gonna lie about stuff I'm not gonna make things up um and, and I refuse to suck up to you guys no offense I don't mean it that way but I, I just um I'm not gonna say what you want me to say I'm gonna say what I believe and I hope that 
that that will give you consistency because you know if I say something, I'm not saying it uh, for views. I'm not saying it because I think it'll make people happy. I'm saying because it's what I believe. And I feel like I took a risk saying the 49ers were going to go nine and seven, but it's legitimately what I believe. You know, I, I love Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I love Kyle Shanahan. I love John Lynch. I just think the 49ers are a year or two away. I think it's all coming together. I think the 49ers are great. Their future is extremely bright. But uh, remember, they're, I think they're a year or two away. Remember, the 49ers have to compete against the Saints, the Rams, the Falcons, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Vikings. So again, I think the 49ers' future is incredibly bright. I'm going to follow the team super closely, um, but I, I just don't think they're there yet. And I, I hope you can respect that. Even if you hate me, maybe you hate my opinion, that's fine. You, we, can, we can disagree, I think, and you can still listen to me. I hope so. Um, but I will always say what I believe. I will never, ever compromise what I say because it's what people want me to say. That's why I like doing this by myself. That's why I don't want to have a, an overlord. I want, don't want to work for Fox Sports Radio. I would rather not work for ESPN Radio. I like being able to say exactly what I believe without any censorship, without anything. I, I just think it matters really a lot. And uh, it's really important to me that you understand I will never BS you. I will always say exactly what I believe. And um, even if it makes you mad at me, I just I, I strongly believe in being honest, authentic and real. All right. Drink some water first. I uh, I don't know if I hope you can't hear in the background. There's like a jackhammer going on. It's kind of absurd. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why my neighbor decided to do construction today. I can't control construction, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, the other thing I want to say today's Tuesday. I was planning to record Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week. I'm actually only going to record Tuesday, Thursday this week, and then next Monday. I'm moving on Friday. Friday, I'm moving back to college. It's a, you know, a seven-hour drive. It's a ton of work. I got to set up my whole room and my whole podcast setup, everything. Um, I hope you can understand. But you know, again, August 20th, that's next Monday. That's when we'll start doing the show, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, regular scheduled. You can count on me then. But it, you know, the summer's tough. I'm in flux. I don't live at home with my parents. I live at my friend and his with his my friend in his basement. You know, it's it's rough. It's great. Like I love it, but it's also not the best place to record podcasts. So um, again, next Monday, you can count on the show being here every Monday, Wednesday, Friday from the rest of football season on. Um, water first, and then I want to talk about Kelvin Benjamin, who made comments about Cam Newton. Okay. <clears throat> Kelvin Benjamin criticized Cam Newton. Kelvin Benjamin came out and said his former quarterback was inaccurate and that Kelvin Benjamin said he would have been better off if he didn't ever go to the Carolina Panthers. And let me explain the history of this. Kelvin Benjamin is formerly Cam Newton's wide receiver. Kelvin Benjamin came into the league with the Panthers. He played with Cam Newton for a couple of years and he's now on the Buffalo Bills. Remember, this is a former wide receiver of Cam Newton. And uh, Kelvin Benjamin came out and said, Cam Newton is not accurate. And he, again, he said, Cam Newton, I would have been better off if I never played with Cam Newton. My career suffered because I played with Cam Newton, who doesn't know how to read defenses very well and really struggles with accuracy. And what's interesting is I, I think that Kelvin Benjamin said the truth. Kelvin Benjamin said exactly what he believes. And I think he was honest. I think he was right. I don't think he should have said what he said. Even though Kelvin Benjamin said exactly what he believed, he said the truth, he was honest, he was authentic, I think he should have held his tongue. Here's why. Let me tell you this. Um, I, I made a video earlier this summer talking about my frustrations with college. I made a video saying, Here, here's what I hate, here's what I don't like, and I use the word hate. You can't really use the word hate. I don't think it's helpful because it, it ends conversations. It doesn't allow for a conversation about things, but the problem with this is that you know why it was a mistake to make a video talking about my frustrations with college? The reason why that video was a mistake is because I have two years left of college. I still have to work within the system. 
And the reason why Kelvin Benjamin made a mistake, even though he left the Carolina Panthers, even though Kelvin Benjamin doesn't have to play with Cam Newton ever again, the reason why Kelvin Benjamin should not have said what he said until he retired was he still has to play football. He still has to work within the system. And here, here's, you may be saying, well, again, Cam Newton was, you know, he doesn't play with Cam Newton anymore. He left. I'll say this. Every time one of his Bills quarterbacks, every time one of Kelvin Benjamin's quarterbacks misses a pass or overthrows him or underthrows him or misses whatever, I, it, it's very possible that could creep into their head. Does Kelvin Benjamin not like me either? Am I reminding him of Cam Newton? Now, that's a confidence issue, right? That's not really necessarily Kelvin Benjamin's job to track it, but it doesn't help. You have a rookie quarterback, Josh Allen. You have A.J. McCarron, Nathan Peterman. These are not guys that have been incredibly successful yet in the NFL. And so you got to give them every benefit you can. That is why Kelvin Benjamin made a mistake. The other mistake is this, is that, you know, um, the story continues. The story got even worse for Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin Benjamin and the Buffalo Bills played Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers in the preseason. And pregame warm-ups happen, and uh, Cam Newton walks up to Kelvin Benjamin. He tries to shake his hand, tries to kind of clear the air. And Kelvin Benjamin says, I'm not shaking your hand. He, he doesn't shake his hand. It's kind of, there's kind of some awkward confrontation. Cam Newton goes, what's up, man? Like, why can't we talk? And Kelvin Benjamin doesn't have any of it. He walks away. And I initially saw this, and I got, went, ooh, I don't like that. I thought that was a bad look for Cam Newton. But the more I thought about what happened, that confrontation, the more I realized that's not Cam Newton's fault. In fact, I would credit Cam Newton for trying to end things. That is Kelvin Benjamin making an even worse mistake. So Kelvin Benjamin screwed up, right? He shouldn't have came out and said Cam Newton's inaccurate. He shouldn't have trashed Cam Newton, his former quarterback. But Kelvin Benjamin compounded a mistake by making an even worse mistake and making the situation worse by refusing to squash the bug with Cam Newton. So I, I made a video this summer. I, I already talked about it. You know, I, I, I talked about my frustration with college. And I indirectly talked about a professor. I didn't say his name. I just talked about an experience I had. And this professor did not like that at all. He really, um, I, understandably, like I criticized him. And people don't like being criticized. And uh, that professor wants to meet with me. Probably he wants to scold me, let's be honest. Um, and, and I don't know that I should be talking about this, but, you know, it's my show. I do whatever I want. <laughs> Frankly, I don't, I don't really care. Um, but I'm going to go to that meeting with that professor, and I'm going to bury the hatchet. I'm going to make friends. I'm going to shake his hand. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to end the feud. I don't want to have a feud with anybody. And that is what Kelvin Benjamin could have done. He could have shaken Cam Newton's hand and ended things, and instead he made he escalated the situation. We could have seen on SportsCenter a little moment, oh, Kelvin Benjamin, Cam Newton, they shake hands, make up, it's great. We didn't see that. You know, Cam Newton tried, to Cam Newton's credit. I thought it made Cam Newton look petty and small. I think that was a wrong initial reaction. Cam Newton tried to end things. Cam Newton tried to solve the issue and be the bigger person, really, and kind of act actually a great example. If someone criticizes you, why not go try to make friends? I actually think if a, a nine-year-old's watching that, that's awesome. I like that. I want my quarterback to set an example for, hey, if someone's criticizing you, go make friends with them. Because I, I believe there's a, there's a lesson I learned this summer. It's better to make friends, not enemies. Make friends, not enemies. That's the way to live your life. And uh, you can't always do that, right? If someone's running into your car repeatedly or doing awful things to you, don't make friends with them. But don't make feuds with people you don't have to have feuds with. And Kelvin Benjamin just escalated the situation. He made it worse. And Kelvin Benjamin had an opportunity to end the feud, to be the bigger person, and he showed his immaturity. So I, uh, I just don't know that Kelvin Benjamin did anything right here. <laughs> he shouldn't have criticized Cam Newton. He should have ended things when he had a chance, and he just made himself look even worse. You know, the Buffalo Bills coach Sean McDermott came out and said he shouldn't have made those comments. He came out and said Kelvin Benjamin should not have talked bad about Cam Newton. 
I completely agree for a couple of reasons. Remember, Kelvin Benjamin created a distraction for the Buffalo Bills. And this is not an example of good people skills at all. It's just not good. It's not a good example for your kids. Another thing is this potentially hurts the Buffalo Bills current quarterbacks, right? You have a rookie quarterback, Josh Allen, developing. You don't want to hurt his confidence at all. I'm not saying his confidence should be hurt, uh, but it still could be. And that's not a risk I want to take. So I think Kelvin Benjamin completely screwed up in this situation. He ended up really poorly and uh, he showed an v- extreme lack of maturity. So I, I just, um, Kelvin Benjamin made a big mistake. Before I take a break, I want to talk one more time about the preseason. I, uh, I would urge you to, <laughs> I, I would urge you to relax. I would urge you to relax about the preseason. Look, the preseason is, is fun at times. Um, you know, we saw Baker Mayfield the other day go 11 for 20. He had 212 yards, two touchdowns. We saw Sam Darnold go 13 for 18, 96 yards, one touchdown. These are exciting things, right? This is really cool, but it's also not real football. And we shouldn't celebrate things that are expected. I hope you understand there are vanilla defenses. There's not many starters. What a vanilla defense is, is an oversimplified defense in the preseason. Because you're trying to teach all your young guys, get them all on the same page. You're not running complicated blitzes. You're not running complicated defensive schemes. Defenses in the preseason are running the very base, simple stuff to help get their guys ready for the season. And so you should shred a, a vanilla defense. You should shred a defense that's not really doing everything they can to win. Not putting a lot of preparation into the week. And uh, so the expectation, if you're in the NFL preseason, is that you do well. If you're a good player in the NFL, you should dominate the preseason. You know, when a guy shows up to work on time, do you throw a party? Yes, Jim, you made it on time. I'm so happy for you. No, we don't do that because that's the expectation. And the expectation in the NFL preseason that is if you're a dude, you do well, you succeed. And you can't read a lot into success in the preseason. It should be expected. The only time you can really read into success in the preseason if there's not any success. If a quarterback looks awful, he looks inaccurate, can't make reads, you know, he's yelling at people, throwing things all over the place, that's when you go, oh, this guy's not very good. Or you see a, a DB just get beat repeatedly, and he physically doesn't have it. A lack of success is the only thing you can really read into in the NFL preseason. You can read into a lack of success. If a guy's not ready, if a guy's not performing well in the preseason, that is something you can absolutely you know, read into I could say that's a problem, that's a concern. But if a guy throws for two touchdowns, 212 yards, that's expected. That's not some shocking revelation that's going, okay, good. We know he can do his job against vanilla defenses, against a lot of guys who might not make NFL teams. He can succeed. He should succeed. Baker Mayfield should look really good. He's a number one overall pick. He should look really good in the preseason. Don't read too much into the preseason. Again, there are a couple things you can read into it. You can read into a lack of success. And if your guy's really successful, there's still something you can kind of take away from it. How does he work with other people? Does he look calm, comfortable, relaxed? Is the moment big for him? Is he nervous? And if a guy looks comfortable, calm, like Baker Mayfield did, he's leading his guys. He looks happy. It looks like he's having fun. That is really encouraging. Baker Mayfield, everything I saw was encouraging. But I don't want you to put too much weight into it because, again, everything is set up for him to succeed. If you play poker with six-year-olds, you expect to win because you're older, you're smarter, you probably know the game better. And I just, I would be more shocked if you lost a game to six-year-olds than if you won a game against six-year-olds because you should dominate poker against six-year-olds. That's the expectation. So again, you can't read too much into the NFL preseason. Um, You shouldn't read too much into success. If a guy really struggles, if he's inaccurate, if he's all over the place, if he's throwing things, he's angry, yelling at people, you can read into that. 
but you can't really read into two touchdowns, 212 yards, 11 for 20, because frankly, that's the expectation. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return immediately coming up next, I'm going to talk about the seismic shift that is going to happen in the NFL this year. I'm going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Did the Kansas City Chiefs make a mistake committing to Patrick Mahomes? They ditched Alex Smith. Was that a mistake? Was that the right thing to do? I'll talk about that. And I'm going to tell you why I believe in Andrew Luck's shoulder. Oh, and then later we'll talk about the ugly history of the preseason. Later down the road, we'll talk about why the Falcons deserve credit. The Falcons could have lost everything and they hung on and they really deserve a lot of credit. I owe the Jets fans an apology. <laughs> That'll be a fun topic. We'll talk about Johnny Menzel down the road. We'll talk about the 49ers signing Alfred Morris at the end of the show. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on YouTube. You can find the show everywhere. You can find podcasts. And you can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube. If you like this podcast, you can find the best clips, a little more interesting parts. If you don't like me talking for an hour and a half, no problem. Go find the shorter, more interesting clips on YouTube. And if you really like this show, please, I I love this show. It's my favorite thing in the world. If you like this podcast, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share Strong Opinion Sports on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever it is. You know, follow me on Instagram. Follow me, Zach Schalmer, on Instagram. It'd be really helpful to me. Um, And that's really the best way to get news about the show. If you want to know if I'm doing a podcast that day, I put it on my Instagram story every single day. So follow me on Instagram, Zach Schaumler. And uh, I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Thank you so much for tuning in to Strong Opinion Sports. My name is Zach Schaumler. I I want to talk now about some stories I've read recently in training camp. Uh, at least about NFL training camps. Recently, I read some stories talking about... Well, here's one example. I read one story that said, you know, Patrick Mahomes... Through six interceptions in seven practices in training camp so far. Oh, no, you know, sound the alarm. And then I read another article that said, Case Keenum, guess what? Case Keenum hasn't thrown an inter- interception in all of training camp. Woo! Oh, guys, these headlines, these stories are incredibly misleading. I, you know, after reading those headlines, I watched another video. And a video of, it was a video of Richard Sherman getting beat deep by Marquise Goodwin at the 49ers training camp. At first, I do want to mention yesterday, I talked to a physical therapist. I went to the chiropractor and I asked him, hey, what do you think of Richard Sherman's uh, Achilles injury? He said, look, when a guy tears their Achilles, they'll never be the same. But he said, he'll never, Richard Sherman will never jump as high as he once did. But he also will recover pretty well. He still can recover and play. And so a, a, a 75% Richard Sherman is better than still most defensive backs in the NFL. And remember, he was never a physical beast. He was really technical. Richard Sherman's a really technical smart defensive back that does things the right way. He never was the most physically gifted guy in the room. But I don't want you to attribute Richard Sherman's injury to him getting beat uh, on this video at 49ers training camp. Richard Sherman, in this video, played really aggressive, took a chance, and he got beat. And that happens. That's practice. You make mistakes in practice. That's how you learn. And the 49ers head coach, Kyle Shanahan, actually agreed with me. Kyle Shanahan said roughly this. He said, you can't be afraid of failure at practice. And I, I totally agree. This is why I struggle to have media at practices. If I'm a head coach of any football team, I'm saying, get them out of here. I don't want them here. Because you need to be willing to make mistakes. You need to make mistakes in order to learn. The way you get better is by screwing up, having bad things happen to you. And I would rather a guy make mistakes in practice than in a game. And I, I really don't want a guy afraid of making mistakes in practice because reporters are going to write a story. This guy got beat or this guy threw interceptions or this guy didn't throw any interceptions. Woo. I don't want a guy changing the way they're playing because of reporters. And I, I would hope that they're above that. 
But I just, why? Like, can we not read into anything at training camp? Whether you are doing well or doing, like, here's the thing. Case Keenum hasn't thrown an interception all of training camp. I don't know if that's still true, but it was at the time of reading that. Like eight practices in. And the thing is that you can compare Case Keenum's practices and Patrick Mahomes' practices all you want. But who is more likely to lead the NFL in a passing statistical category? If I told you who, which, you know, between Patrick Mahomes, who has a huge arm, and Case Keenum, who has an average arm, is really safe for the football, which one of those two guys is going to lead the NFL in passing? You're not going to say Case Keenum because he's safe. He doesn't take risks. And Patrick Mahomes, he might throw interceptions, but he's going to throw the ball all over the dang field. So I don't want you to read too much into any stories from training camp. Look, it's entertaining. I, clearly, there's a market for it because people keep doing it. But for the love of God, please just relax. Everybody, I know I'm fired up, but relax. It's not, you can't read too much into training camp. You can't read too much into a guy making mistakes, throwing interceptions, not throwing interceptions, getting beat deep. These are things that happen at practice. Again, you must make mistakes in order to get better. And guys are going to make mistakes at practice, even Pro Bowl corners like Richard Sherman. Tom Brady probably throws interceptions in practice. Not very many, I would, I would think. But it happens, right? You need to be willing to make mistakes, have things go wrong. That's how you get better and learn. So don't read too much into a guy, his success or his failure at practice. We're talking about practice. Okay. Uh, I want to now move to a seismic shift in the NFL. Two rules changed this year in the NFL offseason. In the NFL offseason this year, there were two separate rules that were changed, and they will cause a seismic shift in the NFL. This is going to change a lot of things. So the first rule that was changed in the NFL this offseason was the NFL catch rule. And what this will do is make questionable catches, catches like Jesse James' reception for the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 15 against the Patriots last year. That's going to now be a catch. If a, if a catch is questionable, we can't really tell. Benefit of the doubt, it's a catch, right? We're going to have more catches in the NFL this year because of the new catch rule. The other rule we saw changed in the NFL offseason this year was the helmet-to-helmet rule. And what this does is helps offenses even more. Now defenders have to, they can't hit receivers very much. They can't, they have to be, they have to change the way they come downhill and hit a receiver. And it, it really limits the ability of a defensive back to tackle a wide receiver. It does. I, we've seen plenty of calls. Um, and when you add up all of these calls, what do you get? When you combine the catch rule and the new helmet to helmet rule, what do you get? You get more offense. The offense is at an even greater advantage this year. Wide receivers are more valuable than ever. Defensive backs are far less valuable than ever. I want to show you a clip from the Hall of Fame game. This is the Ravens versus the Bears. And uh, it's, it's short. It's not as long as I wish it was. It's really hard to find a clip of this play happening. I'm going to play that right now. Take a listen or watch. Second and 13. Fires over the middle. And that is incomplete. Intended for Hayden Hurst, but another flag comes into the end zone. If you couldn't see that, if you're listening on SoundCloud or iTunes, what just happened was Lamar Jackson threw the ball into the end zone. And there was a fairly mundane hit. Two guys collided. And what normally I don't think would have been a penalty was now a flag was thrown. A flag was thrown for a pretty mundane hit in the end zone. It gave the offense a first down, and ultimately the Ravens scored a touchdown. And uh, we are seeing the effects of these rule changes everywhere. Not only did it happen in the Chargers-Cardinals preseason game, a really weird call that was not great, we're seeing it now reflected in the offseason moves and guys getting signed and guys not getting contracts. Who's getting paid in the NFL this year? Sammy Watkins got paid a giant three-year, $48 million contract. 
Brandon Cook signed an extension, five years worth $80 million. Jarvis Landry, Landry, a wide receiver, signed a five-year deal worth $75 million. Wide receivers are getting paid more than ever before. Look, Sammy Watkins was a guy who had 39 catches and 539 yards. He got a deal three years, $48 million. Wide receivers are getting paid ridiculous amounts because their value just went up. Their productivity went up. This offseason, wide receivers became more valuable. You know who became less valuable? Again, wide receivers are getting big bucks. You know who's not getting contracts in the offseason this year? Defenders, especially safeties. Earl Thomas, Pro Bowl safety, a great safety in the NFL. For the Seattle Seahawks, he's a guy year in, year out, done incredible things. The Seattle Seahawks will not sign him to a contract extension. His value went down this offseason. He's not worth as much. The Chiefs traded away Marcus Peters, I think partially because they didn't want to sign him to a new contract. That He was a corner. He's a defensive back. His value went down. His monetary value went down. All defensive backs' monetary value went down and wide receivers went up. You know why? Because defenders are becoming less relevant. Offenses are going to score at all-time record highs this year because of the new NFL rules. That's why I don't really buy defense anymore. Like the, the Denver Broncos are a really solid, great defense, but they have an average quarterback. And offense wins the NFL. And having a great defense is not the same advantage it once was. That's why the Jacksonville Jaguars, I picked them to go 8-8. Eight and Because eight, they have an average quarterback and a great defense. And a great defense is at a disadvantage because of the rules. How do you build a team in the NFL? Now look at everybody. Look at all the top GMs. Sign great wide receivers. Sign a great quarterback. You need a great quarterback, great receivers. That's how you win. I, I just... Now you need help. You still need a defense. You still need a good defense. I'm not saying defenses are worthless. But... Quarterbacks, receivers, they're more valuable than ever. There's a real reason why Khalil Mack can't get a contract. Aaron Donald, defensive tackle for the Rams, not getting signed because defenders are far less valuable than they once were. This offseason, everything shifted. The rules changed in favor to make catches easier and to protect wide receivers from getting hit. And it's going to change things. Wide receivers are more valuable than ever because their productivity is going to go up. I'm really curious to see, man, how does this rule change everything? I believe receivers are going to have all-time records. Do quarterbacks receiving numbers, do they go up this year? Probably. I'm also really curious to see, do safeties ever sign big contracts again? Are guys like Marcus Peters and Earl Thomas ever going to get signed to big contracts? Probably not. The rules have now changed. They're less valuable than they once were. And, you know, I think the NFL made a move towards safety. They changed their rules uh, to protect wide receivers, to make hits you know, less common and to protect their guys. And this has been very controversial. And I understand why it's been controversial. People are angry. You're changing the game of football. If I played, you know, I did play safety in high school at one point. And uh, now I'm not going to see the hits I used to, the, the things that were done in high school, I'm never going to see again because the NFL has taken them out of the rule book. You're not allowed to hit the way I saw some guys do in high school because the NFL is changing. Football as a whole is changing. And uh, I understand why people are mad. I really do get it. I get why a guy who played safety in the NFL or in college is like, they're changing the game. How do you play? You're not valuable any, anymore. Um, but I do think it's the right move. I think long-term moving towards safety, protecting wide receivers is the right thing to do. It may not be awesome. It may not be a feel-good thing. But I want to ask you a question. What do moms notice most? This might make you angry. I get why it would make you angry. But at least hear me out. A mom watching football watches Antonio Brown get laid out. The ball's in the air. All eyes are on Antonio Brown. If he, if he gets clotheslined, if he gets drilled helmet to helmet and knocked out, 
Everybody sees that. It's the most obvious, apparent, in-your-face hit in football. And the NFL said, to protect our game, to protect our league, we're not doing that anymore. You know, the reason why I agree with it, look, I love big hits. I love watching guys get blown up. It's fun. It's also kind of blood sport. It's kind of weird. But here's the thing is that I want football to be around when I am 60 years old. I want the NFL to still be a thing. And if the NFL wants to still be around, it needs to slightly change the rules to make it more safe. Because my generation watching, my, I'm 21, my generation, the, the people that I, my peers are going to grow up, have kids and go, either I'm going to let my kids play football or I'm not. And if football is a little bit safer, people my age are more likely to let their kids play football. It's just the truth. If head injuries are less common, that's a good thing for the NFL. The NFL doesn't want guys getting head injuries, getting knocked in the head so everybody can see it. Again, that Antonio Brown analogy, if somebody, if a wide receiver, a star wide receiver is going for the ball and he just gets laid out, everybody sees that. So the NFL said, no longer is that allowed. I understand why people are mad. I'm going to miss those hits a lot. But for the longevity of the NFL, it's the right thing to do. And it'll take a couple of years. We'll all adjust and then we'll forget. We'll never forget, but it, it, it's for the better of the league. I really believe the NFL changed rules in favor of safety. And it was the right thing to do because it's for the betterment of the NFL. I get why you're mad, but I do think it's the right thing long term for the longevity of the NFL. I want the NFL to still be around when I'm 60 and 70 and 80 years old. And the only way for that to happen is to change the rules and make them more safe. I want to talk about Patrick Mahomes. So the Kansas City Chiefs made a controversial move this offseason. This offseason, the Kansas City Chiefs let go. They dumped Alex Smith, their quarterback, traded him away to the Washington Redskins, and they committed to unproven quarterback Patrick Mahomes. And uh, I, I buy into Patrick Mahomes. I'm willing to take a risk and believe in Patrick Mahomes. Here's why I do that. The Chiefs chose Patrick Mahomes over Alex Smith. And uh, I've been reading stories and all kinds of reports, especially people from Kansas City where the Chiefs are located. A lot of people are saying, you know, Patrick Mahomes must do a better job protecting the football. And I would argue, no, no, he doesn't. He doesn't at all. You know who protected the football? Alex Smith protected the football. Alex Smith was a very safe quarterback. Alex Smith was so safe that the Kansas City Chiefs decided they didn't want him to be their quarterback anymore. <laughs> if you wanted ball security, if you wanted a guy to protect the football, the Kansas City Chiefs would have stuck with Alex Smith. No, the Chiefs want Patrick Mahomes to throw the football all over the dang field. They said, hey, Patrick Mahomes, use your BB gun, spray the football everywhere. You're going to throw interceptions. We're going to take risks. We would rather take risks and lose than lose because we are conservative. I, I believe in Patrick Mahomes. I think it's going to actually work out. I might be making my prediction a year too early, and that's fine. He maybe does take a year. He's never started the NFL. He started one game. It's very possible Patrick Mahomes looks kind of ugly this year and gets better next year. But I would rather be too early than too late. I believe in Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid, the head coach for the Kansas City Chiefs, was once Brett Favre's quarterback coach. Andy Reid was Brett Favre's quarterback coach with the Green Bay Packers. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Andy Reid looks at Patrick Mahomes and says, I see something similar to Brett Favre. I see a guy who's willing to take chances. He's going to throw bonehead interceptions. He's going to make bad mistakes. But man, if you want a guy to throw the ball 80 yards in the air for a touchdown and throw it, make a pass you've never seen before in your life, do things that Brett Favre did, that's Patrick Mahomes. So I don't know that Patrick Mahomes is going to win Super Bowls because Brett Favre only won one. 
But I think Andy Reid said, I want the next Brett Favre. And Patrick Mahomes is the closest thing we've ever seen to Brett Favre in the NFL. A guy with massive, he's got maybe the biggest arm in the entire NFL. Kind of a bonehead. Throws bad and ugly interceptions. Throws the ball up. You, He's like, I got this arm. I'm going to use it. I've got this talent. I'm going to use it. I'm going to show off. And sometimes it hurts him, but sometimes he wins. And it looks unbelievable. And so I'm willing to bet on Patrick Mahomes. I think he's right. I trust Andy Reid. He's a great head coach. His coaching tree is unbelievable. He's had plenty of assistants who have won Super Bowls. You know, John Harbaugh went on and won a Super Bowl without him. And uh, we, we saw, you know, Peterson, the guy from the Eagles, win a Super Bowl without him. Doug Peterson. And uh, man, I just, I firmly believe in Patrick Mahomes. I get it. I might be too early. But what I don't want to hear is I don't want to hear people saying, Patrick Mahomes must be safe with the football. No, he doesn't. That's what Alex Smith was. They shipped him off. They didn't want that anymore. If they wanted a guy to be safe with the football, the Chiefs would have stuck with Alex Smith. They don't want that. They want a guy to throw the ball downfield. They said, here's what the Chiefs said. If we're going to lose, we're going to lose with a guy who takes chances. We're going to lose swinging for the fences rather than waiting and watching strike three go right by us. That is what Patrick Mahomes is. Patrick Mahomes is a home run hitter. He's a guy with an incredible arm talent. And he's a guy that I, I believe in because I trust Andy Reid's coaching ability. I think Andy Reid can mold this guy into an NFL quarterback. It might take a year or two, but I am going to bet right now, long-term Patrick Mahomes will be successful in the NFL. I trust Andy Reid's coaching, and I think the guy has something pretty special. Okay. I, uh, I predicted the Indianapolis Colts to go 10-6 and six this year. And the reason why I did that was very simple. I said, look, Andrew Luck is coming back into the lineup. That matters a lot. Andrew Luck is a huge difference maker. Before Andrew Luck hurt his shoulder, he was the best young quarterback in the entire NFL. He led his team to the AFC Championship three consecutive 11 and five seasons in a row. Went from, I think they were like the worst, they were the worst team in the NFL. They had number one overall pick and Andrew Luck overnight changed that franchise completely. I want to tell you why I believe in Andrew Luck. I'm getting a lot of comments like, you know, Andrew Luck's shoulder is, is ruined. Why would you believe in the Colts? The Colts are not going to go 10 and 6. They'll go 6 and 10, maybe 4 and 12. Andrew Luck's shoulder isn't ready. And I agree with you. Andrew Luck's shoulder is not at 100%. I, I completely, fully acknowledge that. But I want to make a comparison that I think is really important. I want to talk about Drew Brees. I read Drew Brees' book. Um, Drew Brees hurt his shoulder when he played for the uh, San Diego Chargers, now the LA Chargers. Drew Brees, you know, he fumbled the ball and he he dove headfirst into a pile for the ball and he dislocated his shoulder and his shoulder was ruined. It was meat. It was bad. Nobody thought uh, Drew Brees' shoulder was going to ever return. And Drew Brees was shopped around the league. He went to the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins said, ah, your shoulder's not good enough. We don't think you can ever be what you were before and we're not going to take you. So Drew Brees went to the New Orleans Saints, the only team that believed in him. And most people gave up on Drew Brees. So I read Drew Brees' book. He's, he talked about his whole experience. Do you know what Drew Brees' book is called? <laughs> it's called Coming Back Stronger. It's called Coming Back from That Injury. It's talking about the city of New Orleans re being revitalized after Hurricane Katrina, talking about his shoulder coming back from that injury where nobody believed in him. And in that story, Drew Brees talks about his first training camp in 2006 with the New Orleans Saints after hurting his shoulder. And Drew Brees said, look, at training camp, I wasn't 100%. I wasn't 100% till November or December. It took a long time for my shoulder to fully recover, but I still could play at a high level. And I, I still was there. And you know who, guess what? You know what's interesting? Did Drew Brees recover? Did Drew Brees come back stronger? Drew Brees turned himself into a Hall of Fame quarterback in New Orleans. And I, I honestly believe Andrew Luck is going to do something similar. 
I understand people say Andrew Luck's deep ball isn't there. Look at Andrew Luck. He can't throw the ball all over the field like he used to be able to. That's a fair criticism. I understand. But it's August. How about we wait until December or November? Give Andrew Luck's shoulder, Andrew Luck's shoulder time. Again, Drew Brees wasn't 100% when he hurt his shoulder until November. He was ugly in training camp. He missed throws short. He, had, he called what he, his arm was what he called a slow curve. He said, I, I can't put as much on it. And part of that was he wasn't using his legs. He had all these little issues. But man, Drew Brees struggled early and people doubted him. Some teams, the Miami Dolphins didn't even take him because they didn't believe in his shoulder. And I think we need to have similar patience with Andrew Luck. Don't expect Andrew Luck's arm to be 100% until November or December. Give him time to work back into shape. He's on a pitch count right now. I believe the Colts are saying you can only throw 70 passes at practice, something like that. Um, look, man, I just see a lot of parallels between Drew Brees and Andrew Luck. And it's interesting. If you look at you know the 2006 New Orleans Saints and the 2018 Indianapolis Colts, had a new coach, had a ton of doubters, had a coach with a had a quarterback with an injured shoulder, and both quarterbacks, Andrew Luck and Drew Brees, had something to prove. I believe in Andrew Luck. I believe Andrew Luck is very similar to Drew Brees. Please, I'm asking you, learn from the past. Learn from history. I, I love the history of the NFL. It's one of my favorite things. Drew Brees' shoulder was a mess. Nobody believed in him. And he came back stronger. I believe in Andrew Luck the same way people, the same way, I, I think Andrew Luck's going to do something similar to Drew Brees. Again, look at the past. Drew Brees had a ton of doubters. He made it happen. So I believe in Andrew Luck. That is why I think Andrew Luck's shoulder is going to recover and why long-term he's going to be back to his old self. Have patience. Give it time. Wait till November and December before you judge Andrew Luck's arm strength. Okay. I, uh, before our break, before I take another short break, I want to run you through the history of the NFL preseason. So this is, if you've never paid attention, this is the history of the NFL preseason. Last season in the preseason, Julian Edelman tore his ACL and the Patriots lost their number one wide receiver for the entire season. Two years ago, Tony Romo in a preseason game gets tackled, breaks a bone in his back out for the season, or, or at least 12 weeks or something like that. Enter Dak. That's how we got Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott wouldn't be the guy in a Dallas uniform if Tony Romo hadn't broke his back in the preseason last year, two years ago. Or in 2015, Jordy Nelson, the Packers' top wide receiver, he tore his ACL out for the season. 2014, Sam Bradford tore his ACL in the preseason. What's the point of all this? My point is saying, if I'm a head coach, if I'm a general manager in the NFL, if you're a starter, if I'm planning to use you at all in the NFL regular season, I would not let you touch the field in the preseason. How dumb do you look if your franchise quarterback ruins his knee for the entire season can't play? Or what if your star wide receiver out for the year because he got hurt in the NFL preseason? Please, for the love of God, I'm begging you, do not let your star players play in the preseason. And honestly, even if you're not a star... Maybe you've never been a pro bowler. If you're a guy I need to play on Sundays, if you're a starter, if you're a guy I need, you're not touching the field. You're not doing it. Darius Geis, the rookie running back for the Washington Redskins, tore his ACL in a preseason game. No, that's not good. You know who's limping at practice? Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley's limping at practice because he got hurt in a preseason game. I don't want that. I, we can't have that. I don't understand. Here's the, the thing that people are going to say when I say, don't play your starters in the preseason. People are going to say, well, they got to get reps. They got to play at some point. They got to practice and get better. If they're not ready to go week one, oh no. I hope you understand. Here's how the NFL preseason practices, here's how it all works. 
if the Jets and the Cardinals play on Thursday, all week leading up to that, they play joint practices. They scrimmage like twice a week. If you want your starters to get better, to get real live reps, play them in the joint practice scrimmages. That's how you get that's how you get better. That's how your starters, the guys who aren't playing in preseason games, that's how they get reps, how they play. I understand it's different. I understand it's like, you know, the lights are bigger in the regular seat and, and on in a real field in a game. But if you're a guy who's played any minutes, if you're a starter in the NFL, you don't need to play in the preseason. I, I know. I, I think I I just uh, I, I wouldn't do it. It's not worth the risk. Look, first of all, I think the preseason too long. My dad and I were having a conversation about that the other day. Like, they play four games. You need four games? But either way, here's my philosophy. If I'm a head coach, if I'm a general manager, this is the pitch I would make about the preseason. I would say, look, if you're a bench player, if you're a guy that's not going to start in the NFL this year, come to my team. I'm the 49ers head coach. I say, hey, come to the 49ers this year. Because guess what? You're going to play the entire preseason. You may not even make this team. But you're going to get a lot better because you're going to play a ton and you're going to get a lot of film, a lot of footage. There's going to be a lot of footage of you playing in the NFL. You can build your resume. That's how I would sell it. And you would have bench players flocking to your team to say, I can play the entire preseason. I will have an opportunity to showcase my talent. That is what I would do if I'm a preseason head coach. What I would not do, I would not at all play anybody I needed in the NFL regular season. If I need you on Sundays, you're not playing in the NFL regular season. If you get hurt in a meaningless game that doesn't help my record at all, it is a total waste of everybody's time and it stinks. In a preseason game the other day, the San Francisco 49ers lost five players to an injury. Five! That's You can't have that. Their, their star defensive end, Solomon Thomas, concussion. Jarek McKinnon, their running back, got hurt so badly. Not serious, but still badly enough they had to sign another running back. <laughs> no! If I need you on Sundays, you're not playing in the NFL preseason. I, I just... I, I Man, how could it be more clear? Do not play guys you need on Sundays in the NFL preseason. Guys get hurt every single year, and every single year I go, why were they playing at all? I ranted, I went too long on that, but man, I, I just really passionately feel like I don't understand why, why NFL teams don't adapt. Why doesn't anybody learn from the past? Please, for the love of God, learn from the mistakes of the past. I make plenty of mistakes every day in real life. I get broken up with, I get I do stupid things, all kinds of things happen. Learn from them. Learn from those mistakes. <sighs> All right. I'm going to take a short break. And uh, when I return from the break, I want to talk about the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons could have lost everything. And uh, I'm going to tell you why they deserve some credit. Because the Falcons did something worth mentioning and worth noticing. And I haven't seen this comparison made anywhere in the sports media. I also want to talk about Jets fans. I might owe Jets fans an apology. We'll talk about that. I'm going to visit Johnny Menzel. We'll talk about Johnny Menzel's progress. He has played two games. He got traded. A lot of news about Johnny Menzel went on recently. And uh, to end the show, I'm going to talk about the 49ers signing a new running back, Alfred Morris. What does that mean? Share my reaction about that. If you like Strong Opinion Sports, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long show on YouTube. You can also find my best most interesting clips on YouTube. I, I record for about an hour. I do the whole podcast and I clip out every little segment and put them on YouTube as well. So you can watch just that. If you don't want to watch me talk for an hour, please, if you like this podcast, share this with your friends, tell your friends about strong opinion sports, share it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow strong opinion sports by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right. We are back. Thank you so much for tuning into strong opinion sports. My name is Zach Schaumler. I want to talk about the Atlanta Falcons. 
Two years ago, the Atlanta Falcons lost the Super Bowl in a tragic, tragic way. Remember, they had a, a 25-point lead on the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. They led 28-3, to and they lost. The Falcons lost in the Super Bowl after having a huge lead. It was embarrassing. It was ugly. They got beat by the Patriots in the worst way possible. And we saw a similar occurrence in 2015. And this is, this is a comparison I've never seen anybody make. If you remember, the Seattle Seahawks had the ball on the one-yard line with a minute left. They had a chance. They're in the, right on the cusp of the end zone. All they had to do was run the football and score a touchdown with Marshawn Lynch. They win the game. Well, the Seattle Seahawks threw the ball. They threw an interception, and they lost the Super Bowl. At, with a minute left, had a chance to win. They blew it. That's a tragic, tragic way to lose. So again, now, it's kind of funny the parallels. We saw the Seahawks lose in a very extremely tragic way to the New England Patriots. And then we saw the Atlanta Falcons again lose a very incredibly tragic game to the New England Patriots. A sad, destroying loss. Who's in better shape post that loss? The Seattle Seahawks have now fallen apart. They're a mess. They, they completely fell apart as a team after losing the Super Bowl. The Falcons, on the other hand, have really done well. If you look, if you ask Cliff Averill is a guy who used to play for the Seattle Seahawks. He came out recently and said, yeah, that Super Bowl loss tore our locker room apart. We couldn't get past it. The Seahawks could not bounce back when they lost a tragic Super Bowl. They just could not bounce back. They imploded. So I want to give credit to the Atlanta Falcons. Well done. It's pretty impressive what they did last year. We might you know, look down on what they did. They made the wild card. They lost in the playoffs. Do you understand how difficult that is? Most teams lose the Super Bowl. And even if they win the Super Bowl, they have a Super Bowl hangover. They don't bounce back. Remember when the Panthers went to the Super Bowl? <laughs> Where have the Panthers been since going to the Super Bowl? Pretty much non-existent. Instead of getting destroyed by their tragic loss in the Super Bowl, the Atlanta Falcons bounced back. They recovered. They rebounded. They made the playoffs again. That is impressive. That's something I want to just give an applause to the Atlanta Falcons. Dan Quinn, the head coach in Atlanta. It's impressive, man. I, I really don't discount what happened. They won. They made the playoffs. They won the wild card game in LA against the Rams. And even though, you know, the, the Falcons lost 10 and 6 to the Eagles, they had a chance to win that game as well. They lost in the red zone. They came down to fourth and goal from the two yard line, and the Falcons lost. They got inches away from beating the, the Eagles and then going potentially maybe to the Super Bowl again. That's impressive. They bounced back, they showed resilience. I want to give credit to the Atlanta Falcons. That's awesome. They could win the Super Bowl again. They've never, I don't think they won a Super Bowl yet. The Falcons could win a Super Bowl this year. It's very, very possible that the Falcons have come all the way full circle. They win a Super Bowl this year. They're one of the favorites. I think the, the Saints personally will win, but the Falcons are absolutely in the mix. They could win a Super Bowl this year. And I just want to give them credit. They did not let a tough loss ruin their franchise. The Seahawks are a mess. They're going to go 5-11, and 6-10, and 10, something like that, because they could never recover from losing the Super Bowl. I, I think it's so interesting. Some people let bad stuff in their lives tear them apart, ruin their life. You know, my brother died at one point in my life, and it was awful. It's the worst thing I've ever been through. And I worked extremely hard to say, I'm not going to let this ruin my life. I know people who've been in similar situations. They're a mess. And not, not that I understand why, but man, you got to pick yourself up. You got to keep going. So I want to give credit to the Atlanta Falcons. They picked themselves back up. They kept going when the going got tough, when they had an embarrassing, tragic public humiliation, the Falcons said, no, we're not going to let this ruin our franchise. Dan Quinn, the head coach of the Falcons, learned uh, from the Seahawks' mistake, and he 
pulled it together. I just want to credit so much. So job well done to the Atlanta Falcons. They did a great job bouncing back, and they're in the mix this year. They did not let a tragic loss ruin their franchise. Well done, Atlanta Falcons. <sighs> okay, I want to remind you, again, I, I love NFL history. It's one of my favorite. I just, I just love making examples and looking back at the past. I want to start here for this topic. Um, LaDainian Tomlinson was the number five overall pick in the 2001 NFL draft. And in the exact same draft class, Drew Brees was the first pick in the second round. Both were drafted in the 2001 draft class. Both LaDainian Tomlinson and Drew Brees, they're both Hall of Famers. They're incredible, incredible football players. And uh, LaDainian Tomlinson retired in 2012. And uh, Drew Brees, it's 2018. He's still playing in the NFL. The point is this. Quarterbacks last longer. Even the best running backs don't go play for 15, 18 years. We saw in the NFL draft this year, you know, the New York Giants drafted Saquon Barkley. They chose to draft a running back rather than a quarterback. And uh, remember, the Giants passed on Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, and frankly, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson. Every quarterback in this draft, other than Baker Mayfield, the Giants had a chance to draft. They decided not to. And the Giants went with our 37-year-old quarterback. I think a huge mistake. But what's more interesting is if the Giants chose a running back over a quarterback. And I think they should have drafted a quarterback with a number two overall pick. Remember, the Giants had the number two pick and the 34 pick. They could have picked Nick Chubb with the 34 pick. Nick Chubb, the running back for the Cleveland Browns, was drafted 35th overall. The, Brown, the, the Giants could have had Sam Darnold, number two. Nick Chubb, number, at number 30, 34 overall. It could have happened. They could have gotten a running back and a quarterback in this year's draft. And the Giants didn't do it. They chose Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is a great player. But who's going to last longer? Who's going to win New York? Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold is the guy. Not only did the Giants pass on Sam Darnold, the Giants let their rival, the New York Jets, have Sam Darnold. The New York Jets won New York. It's over. It's over. Saquon Barkley's great, but 15 years from now, who's going to be potentially playing in the league? Not Saquon Barkley. It's just not, it's not possible. It's not going to happen. And so, you know, in fact, we've seen reports that Saquon Barkley's already limping at practice. He hurt his ankle or something in, uh, in the preseason. Sam Darnold, totally healthy. He's a quarterback. He's not going to be banged up. He's the guy. He's the rock for the New York Jets for the next 15 years. The Jets won New York City. You don't believe me? What if the L.A. Clippers had Ben Simmons and the L.A. Lakers were still trying to cling to Kobe's dying corpse? We'd say, look, the Clippers are about to take over Los Angeles. They're about to be the next basketball team because they have the next superstar in the, in the NBA. Sam Darnold is the next big thing in the NFL, and the Jets have him. The Giants could have had him. They didn't. Here's why I want to apologize to Jets fans. I feel bad. I predicted the New York Jets going 2-14, and 14, um, mostly because there's so much unknown about the New York Jets. And, and it's really tough. If you're, if you're predicting the NFL season, there's only 256 wins to go around. Every time a team wins, another team has to lose. And the, Giants, or the Jets were one of those teams where I was like, I, I, look, I love them. Their schedule's tough, but I'm going to give wins to all these other teams. Here's the truth about the New York Jets. The Jets probably go 5-11, 6-10. I believe in Sam Darnold. I think Sam Darnold at some point is going to play, and he's going to play well. And I want, you, I want to remind you of the Jets' season last year. The Jets beat the Jaguars last year. They also almost beat the Patriots. In fact, the, 
Last year, the Jets played in five games that were seven points or less. The Jets are a highly competitive football team. I don't love their roster. I still think they have building to do. But they play their butts off for their head coach, Todd Bowles. And the Jets are going to win games this year that you can't predict. The Jets are going to win games you can't plan for. And that's what I, probably what I should have done in my prediction for the Jets. I should have said, I should have said even though this is a, on paper a mismatch, they're going to win one of these games. They're going to go 4-12. and 12. They're going to go 5-11 and 11 because they're going to win some games that nobody expects them to win because that's A, that's football, and B, that's what the New York Jets do. They did that last year. They'll do it again this year. And I want to continue talking about the Jets in a positive manner. Look, the Jets are about to take over their division. They play in the AFC East with the Buffalo Bills, the Dolphins, the Patriots, and again, the Jets are in that division, obviously. And when Tom Brady retires in a year, two, three, maybe four, guess who's primed and ready to take over the AFC East? The New York Jets. I don't mean to leave the Buffalo Bills behind, but I think Sam Darnold is far better. I like New York. The Jets are primed to take over the AFC East because they have Sam Darnold. They're going to take over New York. They're going to be New York's big team, not the Giants. And they're going to take over their division and compete for Super Bowls because they got Sam Darnold. I trained with Sam Darnold in high school. I believe, I I went to football camps with him. He is the best. He is unlike anything I've ever seen. I, I just, I've, man, I promise you, I buy into Sam Darnold so much. I'm not a fanboy. I really believe in him. And uh, I, I just think he has something special. It's, it's possible. The only other guy that could challenge Sam Darnold. Look, I like Baker. Baker Mayfield will not be better than Sam Darnold. You know who could be? I think Josh Allen could be better. Excuse me, Josh Rosen. I get them confused all the time. I say their names wrong. The quarterback for the Cardinals, Josh Rosen. That's the only person that could be better than Sam Darnold in this NFL draft. You know why? Because he's a, a football-obsessed maniac. The only thing Josh Rosen wants to do, he eats, sleeps, he's obsessed with football. But I also think we could see a, you know, the way we saw Tom Brady and Peyton Manning compete for years, that's what I believe Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold are. Josh Rosen is Peyton Manning. He might overprepare. He might get too tight. Remember, Josh Rosen didn't win a lot in in, in college. People said last year Sam Darnold had a bad season. You do understand Sam Darnold won the Pac-12 championship last year. Such a bad season. Oh, no. He got them to a bowl game. He did well. (laughs) Like, I think it's funny how we misremember history. Sam Darnold had a great year last year. Sam Darnold won his division. He wins games. He's a great quarterback. And uh, I think the Jets made the right move. Jets got lucky that the Giants passed on Sam Darnold. The Jets are going to dominate New York and they're going to dominate the AFC East for years because the Giants handed them a Christmas present on a silver platter. The Giants made a massive mistake. The Jets won out. They are in fantastic shape and they're going to do well with their rookie quarterback, Sam Darnold. Long-term, meet. talk to me in five years from now. <laughs> Tell me that Saquon Barkley was a better draft pick than Sam Darnold. You will be wrong, Giants fans. You will be wrong. The Jets are in position to destroy and do well for the next 15 years. I love the Jets drafting Sam Darnold. All right. There's some news about Johnny Manziel. We have two stories left. Uh, you know, I, I, We're going to talk about Johnny Manziel. There's some news about Johnny Manziel. There's a lot to catch up on. Johnny Manziel was, first he was traded to a new team. So Johnny Manziel was not going to play with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, his former team in the CFL. So he got traded from the Hamilton Tiger Cats to the Montreal Alouettes. And then Johnny Manziel started in his first Canadian Football League game. And it was ugly. Johnny Manziel was 11 for 20, 104 yards passing, no touchdowns, zero touchdowns, and four interceptions. Johnny Manziel threw four ugly interceptions in his CFL debut. He lost 50-11, to 11, ironically to his former team, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. 
And it was ugly, but it's hard to judge a loss like that because you got to remember, 11 days after being traded, Johnny Manziel was starting for his new team. That's tough, man. Less, that's less than 11 days to learn your new playbook. To give you some context behind how quickly Jimmy, uh, Johnny Manziel was started, I want to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo was traded from the Patriots to the San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo arrived with the 49ers on October 31st. Jimmy Garoppolo, from October 31st, did not play all of November and didn't start his first game until December 3rd. Jimmy Garoppolo had 34 days to prepare and learn the 49ers offense before his first start. I'm not saying that's a long time. That's that's still a pretty short amount of time to learn an offense and do what Jimmy Garoppolo did. It was unbelievable. But you understand, he had far more time than Johnny Manziel did. Johnny Manziel had less than 11 days to learn his playbook and be starting. And we saw that happen because here's what happened. In his second second Canadian Football League start, Johnny Manziel got better. He improved. In Johnny Manziel's second start, not massively improved, but he was 16 for 26, 168 yards, zero touchdown, but also zero interceptions, ran for 36 yards. They did lose 17 to 24, but that was some progress. And so the point of all this to say, there's a long way to go for Johnny Manziel, but the point is that Johnny Manziel's season, his career, the comeback for Johnny Manziel is not over. It was over. He was with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He wasn't going to play all year. And I said, until something changed with Johnny Menzel, I'm not going to talk about Johnny Menzel. Something did change. Johnny Menzel is back in a situation where he could possibly catapult his career and do some success. Look, he plays for the worst team in the Canadian Football League. Either the worst or one of the worst. They're one in seven, the Montreal Alouettes. And uh, it's ugly. But it's Johnny Menzel is well on his way. And here's the thing. If Johnny Menzel never, ever makes it back to the NFL, if he never, ever gets to the NFL again... It's still a cool story. Really, Johnny Manziel was like doing drugs, drunk on a beach. Like he was a washed up loser and he, he got his life back together. I've been that guy. I dropped out of college. I dropped out of college. I was working at a car wash. I was a loser. I was a guy, my girlfriend made fun of me. She broke up with me, called me a loser, made fun of me. <laughs> I've been there where Johnny Manziel was. And the fact that Johnny Manziel has already gotten some of his life back together. He's playing professional football, has a steady job. Being a starting quarterback, that's so cool. Even if he never makes the NFL, I hope he does. But his story already is so cool. He's a recovering drug addict, getting his life back together. I'm so happy for Johnny Menzel. His story isn't over. He's got a long way to go, but he could get back to the NFL. There's still light at the end of the tunnel. There's hope. And so that that is, I wanted to share that. That's so cool about Johnny Menzel. There's hope for Johnny Menzel, and there's a light. Really, really far away, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel if you're a fan of Johnny Menzel and his comeback. All right. The last thing I want to talk about on today's show, I want to talk about the 49ers. The 49ers just signed running back Alfred Morris to their roster. Remember Alfred Morris? He's been with like six teams, but he recently played for the Redskins and the Cowboys for the last two years. Um, I love this signing. I, I, I'm going to give you an optimistic take on the running, the 49ers signing running back Alfred Morris. First of all, I want to say I love the 49ers running back, Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon is the man. He's great. But Jarek McKinnon is a speedy guy. He's a great wide receiver, ran a 4-4. But he doesn't have a lot of punch. He's a guy that you want to get him in space, get him outside. He's not a guy that can get you a bunch of yards on third and one. He's not a guy that can pound the pile. I think Alfred Morris brings the hammer to the 49ers. Alfred Morris is now 29 years old. That's why I say an optimistic take. We haven't seen prime Alfred Morris for a couple of years. He was really good with the Redskins. And he got old and kind of tired. They got rid of him, went to the Cowboys. Um, and I don't think concerned is the right word. 
if when I when I say this, but I wondered if the 49ers were gonna get a a running back who's more traditional, a a hammer, a guy who could hit the pile, get two yards on third and one. That is what I think that Alfred Morris is and what he could be for the 49ers. You know, we see the New Orleans Saints all the time. And I want to compare the 49ers to the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints have Alvin Kamara, their kind of speedy slot back, running back who catches the ball a lot, really shifty guy. And they have their more traditional running back, Mark Ingram. Guy, again, you need two yards on third and one. He can pound the pile, get two yards. The 49ers could now be similar to the San Francisco, to the New Orleans Saints, where the 49ers are going to have Jarek McKinnon, their speedy slot back, a guy who can get the ball in space, do incredible things really fast, get the ball to the outside. And they'll also now possibly have a traditional running back, Alfred Morris, a guy who can pound the pile, get two yards on third and one. That's what I think Alfred Morris might bring to the table. Look, this is an incredibly optimistic take. I understand. And don't forget Joe Williams, but man, I, this could be a good move for the 49ers because he could be a more traditional back and he's 29 years old. He might be washed up. I don't know, but I do like what he did last year a little bit for the car, uh, for the Cowboys. And he could bring some good stuff for the, San Francisco 49ers this year. Don't put too much into this. I know it's an optimistic take, but be aware. Alfred Morris signed by the 49ers. That's a good move, and it might give the 49ers a more traditional running back who can pound the pile, get two yards when you need it. And I like that move. I think it's a good move for the 49ers. I applaud them, and I'm excited for the 49ers this year, man. I am going to follow them as closely as I can. I love what they're doing in the Bay Area. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. That's all I have. This is the end of the show. And um, I just want to say, man, thank you so much. Again, I I really, I'll be quite frank, I've struggled with depression a lot this summer. Uh, it's been rough. I've learned a lot of life lessons. And uh, there'll be good analogies this fall. I'll use them on the show a bunch. But I, uh, it's been tough. And this thing, this show, Strong Opinion Sports, is the number one thing that keeps me going, man. This show is my favorite thing in the world. And um, I just, I, I love doing it. I love sharing it with you guys. I love preparing it. I love writing all these pieces of paper and scripting it out and it's not a script. It's an outline, but you know what I mean? You get the point. Doing the research, finding all the topics. What's my angle? Answering that question for myself. That's so fun for me. So I, I just thank you for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow this channel by telling your friends about the show. Share the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're listening, I'm begging you, do me a favor, tell your friends about this podcast. My name is Zach Schaumler. God, I can't wait to share this. This is a great, I think it's a great episode. And so I'm really excited to share this with you guys. Hope you have a great day. Remember, go see the movie, Eighth Grade. It's made by Bo Burnham, the comedian. It's not a comedy at all. It's a drama movie, but man, it made me, uh, it was really relatable. I've never watched a movie that was more relatable in my entire life, actually. So go see Eighth Grade. It's a great movie. I hope you have a great day. And, uh, Take care of yourself. I'll be back Thursday. No show Friday. I'm going to be moving to Pullman, Washington, where I'll go back to college. So I uh, hope you have a great day. See you Thursday. Bam, bam. We are done. Bye.